Welcome to another segment of Through My Eyes. I'm Ronald Franzulli, your host for our series of interviews with Little Falls Vietnam veterans. I'm very honored to have with me today Don Bronson. Don served in the Navy as a Seabee and was in Vietnam from April of 1968 to January of 1969. Don, thank you very much for taking the time. Good thank to you see you. Ralph. Thank you. Thank for you for your service. Thank you. So 1969, you left Vietnam for the last time in 69, 50 years ago. A lot of waters passed over the dam. Well, I, want, I want to ask you this question to start with. How did you feel about the war in Vietnam then? And how has your feelings about it or your opinion about it changed over the last 50 years? Then I, I think I was just you know, glad to be back home. Uh, I had in mind the work that we'd done, and you know, I uh, when I got back to the states, uh, I, I didn't encounter any of the uh, people that that you know had harassed other service members or anything mm -hmm. like that. Uh, so I, I guess I was fortunate in that, re you know, that respect. But there were. Uh, you know, I mean, feelings uh, about the war itself. I was fortunate where I was at, so I, I can honestly say that, uh, you know, we did a lot of work. We kept busy in that respect because I was a CB, and uh, I, yes, I did have, you know, my encounters with the, uh, how can I put this, uh, enemy attacks, I guess you could call it. And uh, there was no actual hand-to-hand -hand combat or anything like that that I had to encounter. But I know a lot of others did, a lot of other people did, and a lot of other of my uh, fellow service members. And I think of them often. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about the CBs a little bit because I think when the general public, and I could be wrong about this, but I think this is true. The general public, when they think about warfare, whether it's the Vietnam War, or any war, they think they might not think about the CBs, who played a vital role in a lot of different wars, including Vietnam. So tell me, what's the mission? What was the mission of the CBs, and what was their purpose in Vietnam? Well, I'll start with our motto: it's "We build, we fight." We're trained in both uh, building uh, trades from electricians to, to builders to uh, uh, utilities men, you know, plumbers and, and you know, all that work and, and anything, steel workers, uh, equipment operators. It, 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 and that's thus the motto, we build, we fight, because we are also trained in military warfare, we uh, we do some of our own training. We're also we were also trained by uh, Marines. At uh, I, I was at Camp Pendleton. Uh, the CBs on the East Coast did go to uh, Camp Lejeune, but since I was on the West Coast, I, I went to Camp Pendleton. And of course, the uh, the CB base right now in. Uh, Port Wainimi, California is still in existence, and now we have one in Gulfport, 
mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they're the one in Rhode Island, which was the home of the Atlantic Seabees. That's no longer in existence. So, uh, so what was your specific role? My role as a uh, construction electrician. Uh, well, let me put it this way: we did all kinds of electrical work. Mm-hmm. I specifically was on the uh, power line crew, where we set poles, ran power lines, uh, hooked them up to the various, uh, we used to call them huts over there in Vietnam. And they were sleeping quarters for the, uh, be it the army, uh, other, you know, our own, we also took care of ourselves, army, air force, but uh, primarily the army because uh, where we were there was more Army and, and Marines than uh, any of the Air Force or anything like that. So this was uh, Quantree, I think? Yes, Quantree. yes. So I would assume Quantree was your base of operations, and yes. then you went out into the field from there to yes. build for the Marines and the Army. Right. Can you give me some examples of uh, where this actually, where you would actually build, I mean, were you building fire bases, camps? Give me an example of something specific that you actually helped build. Well, uh, while I was there, there was an, uh, an army group that uh, I believe they were the fifth mechanized. Mm-hmm. And uh, they came in, uh, you know, I'll never forget the day they came in because there were, you know, just numerous tanks and uh, pieces of artillery. And it, it just, where are all these guys going? And they were actually going behind our own base camp Mm-hmm. Approximately, uh, approximately a mile, and uh, unbeknownst to me at the time, that's where um, uh, Bum Malone from Little Falls here, Bernard Malone, he was uh, a member of that. He was in the intelligence corps, and he uh, he looked me up, and we got together several times. But we uh, there was a big push at that time when they came over, and it was a push to get everybody up out of tents and into sleeping quarters so that they could, uh, you know, come back from the lines and uh, have a few days to rest and relax and uh, then go about their duties. Right, right. So we put up a, uh, a large base for, uh, which consisted of mess halls, uh, 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 living quarters, what we called huts. They were called Southeast Asian huts, sea huts. But it was all wood, plywood, and it had uh, screens around it, and, and which could be closed in case of uh, you know any dust storms or, it was just wooden, so I'm not gonna say it held back any of the uh, incoming that would come, happen. How often did that happen? Artillery, RPGs, whatever. Uh, it happened several times where I was at, uh, you know, and, and it, as soon as that siren sounded, you, you went for cover. What's that feel like, Dan? What are you thinking when that, when that <laughs> siren goes off and all of a sudden it's there? Well, if you're in your own hut, we had trenches underneath our floor so that we could just roll out of bed or whatever and, and hop into the trench. Mm-hmm. 
and that would be uh, that was our, our how can I put it there uh, uh, would keep us safe unless it was a direct hit on the, on the HUD itself if, if you heard that siren you always look to see where where was the nearest place you could go to find safety you know get behind something or whatever right uh, at night it was you know primarily the time that we would get hit so it uh, you know we, we we knew where we had to go and everybody every underneath every hut that was there which were many there was a two trenches one on each each side of the hut which slept uh, a squad of men, approximately 14 men. So earlier you said your motto was, we build, we fight. Mm -hmm. Did you have a weapon handy right at your site all the time, or were you relying on Army or Marines to protect you, or how did that work? No, we, we carried our weapons. You carried your own weapons. Yeah. Okay. So you graduate, let me go back a little bit, to St. Mary's Academy. <laughs> right. You graduate in 65. Right. As a senior, you were in the reserves. Yes. Well, yes. How did that happen, and why? Why did that happen? Well, I guess I can uh, uh, thank uh, one of our former mayors, Robert Peters, who was actually going out with my sister at the time, and uh, uh, he got—he was a member of the reserve. Then he talked to us, and it was myself and uh, Craig Hebert and uh, Danny Lewis that joined the reserves at the same time. All three of us. They graduated a year ahead of me, and uh, I pulled up the rear. And, uh, well, uh, did you join the reserves knowing that you, you may go into the service? When you, when no, you, no, no, no. I, I joined the reserves just to get a start on things. I, I didn't know just what I wanted to do. I, I didn't know if I wanted to go to college at that time or, or what. Uh, not even thinking about Vietnam at the time. Mm -hmm. The reason I asked that is because I wanted to get back we were talking about the fact that you had a, a rifle at hand mm -hmm. and I wanted to get back to your training so you you you're in the in reserves as a senior you graduate mm -hmm. and then you join the Navy so did you join the CVs intentionally or did, how did that how did that happen well when I was in the reserves uh, we used to meet at the reserve center in Utica and it was a group of CB reserves there and uh, I remember that one of the uh, chiefs, they call it, uh, in the Navy, it's uh, E7 and above to, in, a, in the enlisted ranks. And uh, they, he, the chief came around and asked if anybody was interested in joining the Seabees. You know, and I, I thought about it quickly, but it was such a uh, uh, spur of the moment thing, I, I, I didn't. But when I went to basic training, it was the reserves only went, had to go for uh, two, four weeks, I think it was. And we went to Davidsville, Rhode Island, which was home of the Atlantic CVs. And, and that was my really first encounter with the CBs themselves. And when I came, uh, finished with my basic training and uh, and then when I went in on to active duty, which was later on, uh, six months later or something like that, I was uh, sent to uh, Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. 
and that's where I encountered a lot of CBs after a hurricane had hit down mm -hmm. there, and they came down and helped rebuild a lot of the structures that were damaged. And then my desire to, to do that work, it, it looked like something that I wanted to do. And uh, I, I re-enlisted at that time under a program, and it was called the STAR program, which would send me to, send me to school uh, and uh, a training school. And then it guaranteed me a, an A4 ranking upon my successful graduation from the school. And uh, I decided which route I wanted to go, I, that would be the route. And uh, not really knowing what I wanted to do with my life at that time, I said, but Were you thinking about that as a trade? If I learn this yes. now, I, I may have something to work with when I get out. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, Which ultimately you did. Yes, I did. I didn't think of a, uh, doing line work, but uh, I was just thinking electrical work itself. Mm -hmm. And the uh, line work came about afterwards, and I enjoyed it very much. You know, it gave me the time to be out and about and working outside, which I enjoyed. And uh, that's how that helped me out in the long run. Well, during that whole time, this, what you just described, that period in your life, the Vietnam War was heating up pretty well. Mm -hmm. When you, at that early point in the Navy, were you thinking at all about Vietnam? Was it on your radar screen at all that you may end up going there? You know, I thought about it. Uh, it, it certainly entered my mind. But when I was going to uh, A school, that's, that's like the first step or first school that's available. Uh, I was, you know, talking with others and being at the CB base, I, I talked with some CBs who had already, you know, served at least one tour in Vietnam. And the guys that I was with, you know, we became very close and we all talked about it, you know, going, uh, we would probably be going to, to Vietnam. And, you know, fortunately enough, the guys that I was with got close to, we, we all joined the same battalion out in Port Wanimi, California. We were shipped to there, and we stayed together. And nice. uh, we, we grew closer and closer, and we all served together in Vietnam and came back together, and some went their separate ways, but I still had some time to go, so. Uh, Do you hear from these people at all now? Stay in touch? Well, yes, yes. Uh, two of them, uh, two of my last two, Agent Orange related cancers. Uh, and we were close, we were very close. I was in the one guy's wedding and the other one that we were just, you know, we would call each other when they got out and everything's just the same. But, uh, well, given the work you were doing, you were out building, mm -hmm. so you, were, you probably had that exposure. Did you yourself have, did, did, were you aware of the exposure at the time? I was never aware of it. I mean, just where it would be. You know, I, I know we traveled, uh, you know, out on the roads, some of which were paved. Uh, some of which were not. They were dusty roads. In Vietnam, the, 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 
the dirt, uh, call it laterite, it was a fine powdery substance that just blew in the wind and dried up very quickly. And then, you know, it was, it was out there in the air whenever the wind was blowing, which was quite often. But not knowing uh, just where I encountered it, yeah. Or when I encountered. But there's a good it. chance that you were exposed yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But when I found out that I myself had one of the Agent Orange-related right. cancers, I called Bob Malone because mm -hmm. he served right in back of me, and I asked if, if he gets checked, and he he said yes, and then he told me that where their camp was was it was. Some of the guys uh, that he knew had Agent Orange-related cancers, and the camp was leveled with Agent Orange before the brush, you know, before the camp was built. So knowing that I was there from the beginning of the building of the camp, when they were bulldozing and we were digging and everything else, and the dust was flying all the time, I figured that's where I got my exposure. Right, right. And it took the VA and the government a long time to recognize all of this, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And it, uh, you know, still in some cases there are there are people that are still fighting that. Uh, even a couple guys here from Little Falls, but uh, you know, their exposure. Uh, I'm I'm not sure. I, you know, I uh, just where they were mm -hmm. or in Vietnam or off the shore, which is now the Blue Water Navy is being affected by it too. So, and the government has said yes. Uh, some of these ships did receive it when the, the planes came back and dropped the loads yeah. or whatever. And uh, so it, it, it I, I don't know where just for certain, but I, I, I'm, I'm saying, and you know, and myself, I know it was there after I got that information. So right, right. Let, let's go back to uh, just after basic. You're, you you get on. A, I assume you got on a plane and mm -hmm. flew to Vietnam. Oh, no, no, you did not. But after after basic, uh, I spent a year in Guantanamo Bay. Right, you mentioned. Okay. That, yeah. So when I first went to Guantanamo Bay, I was in what was called Port Services, which was small boat operation and we would pick up uh, uh, the Navy would send their big ships down there and on what they called shakedown cruises which would after they come out of uh, dry dock or whatever they would come down and uh, have various training aboard ship so when the guys were located off off the shore or whatever we would go and uh, pick them up and various types of uh, landing craft or uh, small boats mm -hmm. and their, their liberty parties, they would come ashore. Uh, Guantanamo Bay didn't have much for liberty but because uh, you had to stay right on the base. You couldn't go into Cuba itself. But uh, uh, So how did you ultimately get to Vietnam? Well, when Obviously I... Obviously on a ship if you didn't fly. No, no. Uh, I, I did fly. We flew out of... Uh, Point Magoo Naval Air Station in California, which was very close to Port Wainimi, uh, which was where I was sent to after uh, uh, after going to A school. Uh, okay. Okay. 
construction electrician right. school. And I, I, I left out of Point Magoo, California, and we flew straight over to, well, with uh, two stops. Straight to I, I always, Cameron Bay. Yeah, I, I always love to ask the, uh, all the vets that I've t mm -hmm. spoken to what that flight was like, because I can't imagine, you're on the plane, this is it, I'm going to Vietnam, mm -hmm. I know I'm going to Vietnam. What were you thinking on that flight? Well, we, we flew on a, uh, uh, it wasn't a military aircraft, we, we flew over on a uh, uh, regular, well, in the service they were C-141s, I believe it was, and, uh, but the, we had a commercial airlines, and I'm not sure which one it was. No, wait a minute. Coming back from Vietnam, we flew on a commercial airlines. On the way over, we flew on a C-141. And we, uh, uh, it was a, uh, you know, a troop carrying plane that, you know, just, just like being on a commercial airlines, it's got, there were no stewardesses <laughs> or, you know, anything like that. Nobody uh, served you a Coke, did Nobody they? served a Coke, <laughs> no, no. It was a long flight, and you know, on your way, we, you know, you think, and it... well, when you when you landed, what were, what were you thinking? When you, what did it feel like when you, the doors opened? And I'm in Vietnam. I'm a yeah. kid from Little Falls. What's that guy thinking? Here I am. It's hot, very hot, and we uh, we landed right. Well, we landed first in Da Nang, and then we boarded uh, C-130s, which is a cargo-type plane, and uh, we, uh, we flew to Quang Tree from there. But, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> we were flying to Quang Tree in the first C-130, and all of a sudden, there was a big hole in one of the engines. Ooh. Never know what happened, but we returned and uh, got on another C-130 and headed straight to Quang That was Tree. your introduction to Vietnam? That was my introduction, yes. So what happened right after that? What were the first few days like? Was there some sort of orientation, or did you go right to work? What? Uh, <laughs> the first few days was just uh, you know, before the the whole battalion came over, because we, there was you know a number of different flights because mm -hmm. they couldn't. The battalion was about 800 men all total, and uh, of course the equipment was already there from the battalion that we were relieving, and uh, you know I just went around the, the, the base camp and at that time everybody was living in tents you know that was their quarters uh, the the mess hall was was built chow hall that was built there were uh, a couple other things the uh, you know a couple other buildings that were that were already built and then the we landed at, at it was a Air Force uh, Landing strip, and they had a uh, they had a few uh, uh, fighters fighter jets there that were on standby, and they had a f couple of uh, or several prop jobs prop mm -hmm. 
planes that uh, they were there and they they flew in and out of there quite frequently so uh, that's uh, you know we just got a, a, a company to uh, or you know got accustomed to what was uh, you know the weather and everything and that we I, I think we had another eight flights to come in and and Fortunately, I was on, you know, one of the first ones because the last one that came in, it, uh, it crashed when I came in. It, uh, they had a failure with the landing gear and uh, a couple of guys got pretty seriously injured. But, uh, and I didn't know the guys at that time. Mm -hmm. So, but uh, it was nobody that I was specifically yeah. with. How long after that did you experience the first Selling that you took, was it quickly or was it up to later on? Uh, that because we were, you know, near the air base, it was uh, maybe within a couple of weeks when the whole main body came in. Uh, the Air Force runway got hit, which was right behind us pretty easy target i guess yeah yeah and uh i can remember that just like it was yesterday you know and, and well, it was, describe it for me first well, time I, the first time okay we're we're in a uh, a bunker all sandbagged for protection and everything and uh there was a number of us in there. I don't remember just how many, you know, and, uh, you know, <laughs> you hear guys praying, mm. you know, and uh, I said a couple of prayers myself, naturally, and uh, going to a Catholic school, I learned a lot of them, <laughs> but uh, naturally, yeah. But, you know, we just, you know, talk to one another. Did you ever, did you ever learn to live with that? Do you ever get used to that kind of thing? It's like a flashback thing, you know. When, when, a lot of times when you know when you hear a, a, a loud explosion or whatever like that, you you just the. It, it's you mean like now? You now. Mean, you mean now? now. Okay. I, I, I'm yeah. assuming that's what you... Well, no, I was actually yeah. referring to when you were actually there. Did you ever really say, okay, well, you know, siren's going off again. Here we go. Yeah. It, it, I, don't, I wouldn't think you'd ever really get used to that or custom. No, to you, it. You, ne you never do because, you know, there are other times when, when we, our camp finally got built, uh, you know, we, we, we encountered, you know, the base getting hit yeah. somewhere or another. And it, it was a yeah. good sized base. You know, I'm not saying miles or anything like that, but it yeah. encompassed uh, uh, quite a big area. Right. So, Did you ever have to pick the rifle up and use it? Uh, no, no. Lucky for you no. then. Yeah, yeah. But you know, you asked me that. And uh, of course I was, I also had to go on security, which meant I had to be on a, I was there for a month. I was in a bunker every night, or in a, uh, yeah, a bunker every night where we, you know, had a M60 machine gun and our own M16s. But there was a, well, there was, uh, 
One time, when I was on a, another detachment, that we went to the down by the uh, city of Quangtree, and it, there was a uh, uh, first Air Cavalry was down there, and we had to wire up their huts because the, the huts were built, and we had to do the wiring and like that. But on the way back one time, you know, we had to come through the city of Quangtree, and traffic was slowing down, backed up. And I'll never forget it. There was a, a uh, Vietnamese guy come up on a bicycle, and it, he had like a, like a poncho-type thing on. And it was, he had his hands on the handlebars. But right across the handlebars, it, 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 there was something there. Mm -hmm. I don't know what. And to this day, I don't know why. But he would keep looking up at me. And when we honored these detachments, we, we kept our rifles up in the front of the truck. And I, I just asked uh, one of the guys, I said, you know, pass me mine, will you? And, uh, and I held it on my lap, and I just cocked it. Uh, I would say, you know, I just sent a bullet into the chamber. And I sat there with it, and I kept looking at him, and he looked up at me, he saw me do that. And then he dropped back. So you sent him a good message, is what you were doing. Yeah, I, I, I did. But, you know, to this day, I, I, I wonder, you know, because he dropped back, should I, should I have... Uh, you know, ask them to stop, mm -hmm. you know, or whatever, and, and call for the MPs that were, that were there or whatever. Yeah, and you were uh, suspicious of this guy. I was, I was. Yeah. Rightfully so. Yeah. And I, it, it, it's something that I think about quite often, too. It's, 50 it's, years later. Yeah. 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 Did you have any significant contact with the South Vietnamese people themselves, whether they were kids yes. or... or Yes. The, the general population? Yeah. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. Uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed meeting you know, and, and talking to the you know, South Vietnamese people themselves, the one, ones that, that we, you know, we considered as, we had some that worked on, on the base. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was on the security, there was, uh, you know, the, the kids would come over to the bunkers and like this, and we'd give them candy or, mm -hmm. you know, cookies or whatever we had. And, you know, you, there's, there's many, many stories that, that, that I, could, I could say about these people. You know, I, I enjoyed meeting them. And the ones that could speak English, you know, where I could understand it and like this, you know, hearing their stories and, you know, uh, about their families and, you know, how they, how they were glad that we were there helping them. And, you know, when we'd give them candy, I, I remember, you know, this one time we were in a village, it was called Hai Lang, and uh, our digging machine had broken down, so we had to wait. But we had all these uh, sea rats, uh, and we, you know, it's part of uh, the meals. Mm -hmm. You know, we had them, the things that we didn't like, you know, so we had, Oh, God, we had a cardboard box full of them. 
And all the townspeople were, you know, they were over by our truck and like this, you know. And, I mean, everybody kept on the, the, you know, looking and being aware and like this. But we took, you know, we said, well, let, let's get rid of this stuff, you know, because, you know, they'd come up and, you know, they'd ask for something or another, candy or food or something. Oh, we didn't have any candy, but, you know, we had this, so, you know, we... We just took the box and, and just, you know, threw the stuff out over, over the side of the, the truck. And it was the wrong thing to do because, it, it, you know, they were fighting one another and it, it, it was a, a disaster because, like I said, I mean, they would punch one another to get the stuff. And, you know, but I'm, I'm thinking, you know, at that time, what do we do wrong? But I'm also thinking about, you know, they needed this bad, you know, the, the, the yeah, food. Pretty sad, you know? isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was, wow, you know, we're doing good, but we're also doing bad. You know, yeah. we should have done something else. Yeah. And I, but I but your intentions were perfect. Our I intentions think. were right. Yeah. Our intentions were right. But, you know, and you, know, you see some of the kids with it, or the people, you know, would have cut because they yeah. would use the can right. to hit, the, hit them or something yeah. like that. It's an interesting but, memory. Yeah. Yeah. If you had to think of a, the, the memory from Vietnam that stands out the most for you, what would it be? My... Well, actually, there's, there's several. And I'll, I'll go through, you know, I mean, real quick. The, I, I can remember that particular situation I and when we were uh, wiring the huts at the uh, 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 first air cavalry fire base that they had a fire base and uh, uh, had helicopter gunships there well they got sent down to down farther to the Delta in South Vietnam but they were still had to fly some of their missions, but they didn't have enough guys to fly their missions. So they asked us if anybody wanted to come up, you know, at night with them for, for their tour and be a door gunner. So, I mean, there was, in my squad, there was nine guys, and I think seven of us said, you know, what the heck? You all took is, a turn. Yeah, we'll take a turn, you know? So I, it, it, was, it was interesting and, uh, just you know, flying along the, the the rice paddies, and you know you got an M60 machine gun sitting there, and, and the, you know the pilot told us that if you see any kind of a flash, you shoot. Okay. So this was so, a Huey. I assume it was a Huey that you were flying. It it was. It, it was. Uh, you know, you look and you, you say. I mean, you're flying close to the ground, so you know they could have probably just throwing a baseball at us, for God's sakes, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when I think afterwards, you know, you know you're, you're young and sometimes foolish, but it was uh, an adventure. Well, you got through it. That's the important yeah, thing. Yeah, that's the important thing. That's right. And then, uh, you, know, you know, just just seeing the people and, and, and learning, learning about the people. I remember they, they, they told me when I was going over there, they could tell 
You could tell if a person of Vietnamese was rich, a family, because th their bathrooms did not have, as, as we know it, toilet seats. They were just like an outhouse, mm -hmm. but they didn't, you know, they didn't sit. They squatted, and they had, you know, they, they said they had two gold footprints for the rich ones. Well, I didn't ever saw any until I was on a, went back, when I went back over the second time, and I, we were building huts for uh, the South Vietnamese Army. Uh, I say huts, uh, they were brick, brick uh, buildings. Or, uh, there were one bedroom, a kitchen, and a bathroom. And uh, the bathrooms were like this, and the footprints were there. I mean, it was just, it's true. They weren't gold, but they were footprints. And, and I said, because I had never seen that, you know. I mean, we would go down the road and, and in the morning go into, you know, wherever we had our work site was. And you know, I remember one particular place, he'd go down in the morning, be down there on the road at 7.30, and you know, over the field there'd be 200 Vietnamese over there. That was their bathroom. You know, I mean, it, it just, you look at that and you'd see them out, out there and, you know, they'd be, they'd be waving. And of course, we wave back, but you know, I'm thinking what we are accustomed to and what they are accustomed to. And, and there, there's, there's so many things just sitting here thinking that, that, that you know, things that I saw that, you know, I, I, I could, some people may say, oh my God, you know, how, how could any, how could they live like that? How could they do that? That's how they lived. Yeah, they were they were farm peasant people. Yes, they were just they yes. li lived a very rural life. Yeah, and the city itself. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, you you see some bread shops or uh, uh, not a lot of stores or anything like that, like we know them. But they were just had their uh, s stuff for them to survive on. What do you think the American people should learn from the Vietnam War? from your perspective? Respect is one of the things. Respect for veterans? Respect for veterans. And, you know, respect for, not think of, 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 of the country as being an, an enemy in itself because I met a lot of good people over there, you know, both American and Vietnamese, uh, who were not communists. They were not Viet Cong. Mm -hmm. These were just common, you know, village people. And, and we, we, one time we went to, to help wire up this church and it was a Catholic church that we, that we did, and uh, it was just, everything was makeshift, you know, but, but we just put some uh, electrical things in there and like that, and it was on a Sunday afternoon, 
and I met the people, you know, that were there, and they, they thanked us, and one invited us into his hut for some rice wine, which is the worst tasting stuff in the world, but not to insult him, I forced the, the glass down, and <laughs> was not anything. So some of the vets, when they came back, not all, but some of them had that bad experience of no. being called things, and no, they, they but got, you're talking about something that was very good that that you you helped people there yes and that's yeah. another that's something that that's a good takeaway i think it it, it is it, i mean and that was one of the things that i enjoyed about being a cb mm -hmm. because we you know we we went there with the intention of, of doing work not only for our own but helping out the villages too mm -hmm. you know and 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 so that you know that we could do good things for them Besides destroying the It wasn't villages. just about the fighting. You know? It was more it, to it. It was just... Yeah. And it, it was a good, what I would call a people-to-people -people program. Yeah. You know, in talking to a lot of the veterans and doing these interviews, one of the things that strikes me, I think of myself and what I was doing on Christmas. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to ask, <laughs> what was your Christmas like? We were very fortunate. Like mm -hmm. I said, where we were was it was a pretty secure area, and we had the our living quarters were what they called Southeast Asian huts. You know. And when when you went to R and R, we we had a, a one and a half squads to each hut usually, and but it was. It was the duty of everybody that went to R&R &R that when they came back, because you came back, you flew into Da Nang, and you flew out of Da Nang and you flew into Da Nang on R&R, &R, at the R&R &R places. And uh, you had to bring a bottle of whiskey or something like that back. So I, I think it would be sufficient to say we had one heck of a party on Christmas Eve. Nice. Yeah. That makes me feel better. <laughs> we did, you know, and, and we were we were fortunate. I, I can remember at, at midnight, the sky was just full of flares that that you know that we were celebrating Christmas. Yeah. And these pop flares, which were, they were about that long, and you'd take the top off of it and put it on the bottom, and it was a primer, and it would hit that, and they came in three different colors, which was red, green. And they signified something, each one of them, you know. And, and then there was just a regular phosphorus white. But the sky was full of them on Christmas Eve at midnight, you know. I mean, it just all the camps around us just filled the sky with them, you know. And everybody said, Merry Christmas. And well, I'm glad to hear you had some fun. Yeah, we did. We did, you know. So the day after was break, back to work, so. Yeah. One of the things that you do every year Yes, you do the Memorial Day mm -hmm. uh, celebration over here at the War Memorial in Little Falls, right across the street mm -hmm. from where we are right now. Yes. And you do a great job. How did that all happen for you? And you're very passionate about all of that work. Tell me about that. I credit that to one of the former aldermen here in Little Falls. 
uh, I didn't, when I came back, you know, I, I, I worked construction and, uh, uh, I lived in Syracuse for a while and, uh, uh, I, I, I didn't know just for certain what I wanted to do, but I, I wasn't even thinking about joining any kind of, uh, you know, be it the VFW or the, the Carl Staffel or the American Legion. I wasn't even thinking about that. But there was a uh, uh, Veterans Day. It was the Veterans Day, and I, I don't remember the year, but it rained. Like it seems to warn, uh, rain on a lot of our Veterans Days. And there was a letter written shortly thereafter by Amelia Logar, who was an uh, alder person here in Little Falls. And, and you know, she asked in, in, in her letter, she said, you know, where are the veterans? Why are they not coming out? And, 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 and helping out to be here because they, they ended up, I guess, having a small program in, in Eastern Park. And there was no parade or anything like that. And, and she, she noted this, and, and, but you know, her question, where are the veterans? So soon after that, very soon after that, I joined the VFW. And I got involved with the VFW, and uh, after we lost our post home, uh, you know, I just I stayed together with the with the guys, and I, I you know, especially the, the Vietnam veterans. You know, and I always you know thought of you know the Korean War and, and World War II veterans. You know, I had a great deal of respect for them. My dad, being a World War II veteran, and uh, I had a great deal of respect for them. But I just never saw myself joining it because mm -hmm. I was younger, you know, and it was mostly older guys. But I got, I, I said to myself, I gotta do something, I gotta do something. So well, I, you've I, kept it going for a long time. And I think that's a yeah. credit because they're, we tried they're diminishing. They're, they're yeah. Unfortunately, we're losing a lot of them. So I, I just wanna say I appreciate you doing it. I've always enjoyed it. Well, we'll do it as long as we've got the members to, to do it, even if we, even if I have to do it myself. And you will. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I hope it's not for a while anyway. <laughs> Dad, is there anything that, uh, that I've forgotten to ask you? I don't think so. I hope I didn't say too much. Uh, no, I thought you did very well, and I, I appreciate you doing this. Uh, it's an honor to have you here. Thank you for your service. And I want to thank you for having me here and have others here. Oh. Uh, you know, there are stories that, that have to be told. And it does us veterans a good deal, a good deed, because we do have to get things like this off our minds. There's, there's no doubt about I'm that. I'm very happy to And do some it. have more to get off their minds than others. I would agree. And thank you thank again. You. And that's it for another episode of Through My Eyes. I'm Rolf Renzilli. Hope to see you next time.